What people know, they protect. What they protect has value, and value creates meaning. And meaning in someone's life means hope. Today we are looking into the world of prison gardens, in which often tiny patches of life have a huge impact on the men and women tending to them. Prison gardens, growing hope by growing life, is our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Wow, Helga, will you repeat what that opening sentence was? That was really touching. What what you protect, you you love. Can you say that again, that first sentence? <laughs> what people know they protect and what they protect has value. Has and, value. And value creates meaning and meaning in someone's life means hope really true. I mean, it's something that we, you know, we talk about in terms of when you're working with a team and you're trying to get everybody aligned on the project, the idea of if people have contributed to the the creation of not just the idea itself, but how the idea is carried out, they treat it as their own. And when somebody feels a certain amount of ownership over something, they take better care of it. And I've thought about this kind of in more like professional settings for team management, but this idea of it used in this setting, what, what our interview is about today, about gardens at prisons where inmates are encouraged to participate and grow things. I, I, I think that this is such a, a lovely way to set up this interview because it gives me a new way to think about what the results are from this, this program that is happening of all places at San Quentin, which is kind of famously one of the, you know, it's a maximum security prison, if I'm, if I'm not incorrect. Is that right? Well, yeah, I want to come back to the psychology when you say, you know, we have these philosophies or beliefs or, or systems to assess a professional work setting or to apply to a professional work setting. A professional work setting is just a bunch of people committing to walking to work and getting something done under a common idea. It's all just people. So, What it comes down to is psychology and whether that's in nature or in prison or at work. The moment we care for something, there's meaning and there's hope and there's an effort to protect it. Yes, it is St. Quentin, the garden itself. Well, we'll hear more about the program in, in just a minute, actually, from the woman who founded it, the founder and director of the Inside Garden program at St. Quentin, Beth Waitkiss, is with us today. That and so much more here today on An Organic Conversation, Prison Gardens, Growing Hope by Growing Life. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be back in just a minute. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit Earl's Organic. 
Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Prison Gardens, Growing Hope by Growing Life, our focus programs in which often very small patches of garden space of life grown in this case have a huge impact on the men and women that are tending to them. And we're today speaking with Beth Waitkiss, who has been in this work for many, many years, over a decade. She's the founder and director of the Insight Garden Program, who's joining us today from Berkeley, California. Beth, are you with us? I am. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you founded this amazing program that I had the great honor and privilege to be part of a few years back, the Inside Garden Program, I believe in 2002. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, we were founded in 2002. And you work at the San Quentin State Prison in Marin County, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge, pretty famous place. It is a death row prison. Well, tell us about it. How, why there? What, how, did, how did you fall into this work, or how did it find you? I launched the Insight Garden Program in 2002, a year after 9-11. That event had had a major impact on my life, and after 9-11, I had felt very despairing about the state of the world and wanted to find a way to regain my faith in humanity again. And so I ended up through a series of synchronistic events being brought into San Quentin to just visit and to potentially volunteer there. And then in one of my trainings, somebody asked me, you know, would you grow a garden here? And that's the question that changed my life, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that, you know, prisons are such a gray, in, such gray inhumane places that I felt like bringing nature into prison could really be transformative not only for the people that are incarcerated but also for the prison themselves the prison itself and that's how we started uh, 13 plus years ago now and and what's really the goal of the inside garden program by the way the the website of course is insight i n s i g h t like site insightgardenprogram.org. dot um, org. What's what's the goal of of that of that idea? Our mission, the mission of the Insight Garden Program, is really to reconnect people to themselves through nature, um, each other in community, and to the natural world. And in doing so, you know, reconnecting to nature transforms lives. And in the case of our program. It also reduces mass incarceration and creates safer, more humane communities when people leave prison. And just to give it a visual, when you say, you know, prison is a pretty great spot, when I got to visit and, and speak as part of the program, and we'll get into what, what you offer within mm -hmm. that as well, but um, we are talking several kind of chain-link fence gates that you need to get prompted through 
um, asphalt on the ground and gray buildings out of cement. There's there's literally not a rose anywhere in that entire facility. There's no life. There's no bird. There's no pollinators. There's there's nothing there. It is an extremely lifeless kind of schoolyard, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, overcast feeling like place. It's pretty depressing and, um, yeah, not hopeful at all. And yet then there is this tiny, really, what is it? It's um, about 1,200 square feet, actually. So a, a patch of life and flowers and greenery, and we will talk more in detail what that is. Mm-hmm. But there's life, there's pollinators, there's bees. So just to give people an idea of how gray prisons actually are, both in inside of people's souls of how hopeless a place like that is, but really like even the visceral and visual impact of just visiting for a few hours was quite intense, yeah. I must say. It's interesting about prisons. So actually, we're now in four prisons in California. And San Quentin, of course, being our first prison, it, it is a very gray place with lots of razor wire. And, you know, different parts of the prison have different levels of um, nature or not. One thing I have noticed about prisons is they sometimes they have a view. So, for instance, at San Quentin, you can see Mount Tam. At Solano State Prison, where we're at, there's some beautiful hills surrounding the prison. But there are places where there's literally no view of anything at all. And I think, you know, having a view is, is a good thing, but we bring nature into the prison, and with that comes whole ecological systems get created with that. So the most dark place that I've been to is California Medical Facility in Stockton. There's no view. It's in the Central Valley and it's flat. Prisons tend to be in places that don't have a lot of access to other people or nature. Um, In the case of San Quentin, it's a little different because it's near a city and we do have views, but it is profoundly an impressive environment and is profoundly depressing in the sense that there's little or no color and you know, with the drought issues now we have in California, there's little greenery as well. So, so Beth, I want to go back to this moment where you said that this was the question that changed my life. Would you put a garden in here? What was the next step for you? I mean, (laughs) obviously, it was a very (laughs) profound consideration, but it's built this entire program that's now in four prisons in California. I know you're, you've got a lot more on the horizon. So, so what did you build? Our, you know, our initial goal was to build a garden on a prison yard, and that process took a year to get approval and buy-in to build a garden. It is the only, that garden that you saw, Helga, is still the only garden on, a, on an actual prison yard in the state of California where people can walk through the garden without a fence. Since the beginning, we also have built a vegetable garden as well. Yeah, the garden's are just really powerful places. And yeah, the garden started in 2002. And that that question, you know, changed my life. I think I want to go back to that for a minute because it's, it's one of those moments when you realize everything you've done in your life has just come to a head. And I love gardening. I love environmental education. And I love to bring that to people who don't have access to it. And it was the perfect moment. And that really did change the, tra- the trajectory of my whole life because before I was working kind of in the corporate world, wasn't very happy, you know, was having my midlife, whatever. And then this, this question came out and I just really moved. 
it, it just changed everything for me. And it started, Helga, as you know, as a small garden on one prison yard with some curriculum. We went in every week and has now expanded. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about how the curriculum's changed, but it's really expanded way beyond my initial intention, which was to just bring life into one place. So, and, and when you say you've built a garden in a prison, it's not we've brought in a crew and they've put a garden in the prison. No, you're actually, the people who built this garden are the inmates. That is true, yes. The, not only did we plan and design the garden with the men, with the people in prison at San Quentin, they got to build the garden. So there's this whole, you know, we design, we build, we grow, and we sustain. Those are kind of the four elements of what we do. And with that, we're also doing classroom curriculum now. So we have uh, work and garden combined with classroom curriculum. It's a very, very powerful combination to have in-depth work done with the men in classrooms and combine that with getting their hands in the dirt. I mean, what a, what a metaphor for life, right? Can you say those four one more time? Sure. We design, build, grow, and maintain mm-hmm. or sustain gardens in prisons just like we do with our lives. You know, the guys are also designing their lives. They're building a new life for sure. themselves. They're growing a life, and they're learning how to sustain moving forward with what they've learned in our program. Uh-huh. Or a family, or if they have a family, exactly. and go back to it. Um, <laughs> it's really the building blocks of anything meaningful um, that they want to create. So, And that was really clear. It is about tending to something that you can protect that is alive to bring that beauty literally but the the ripple effect and the metaphor or the direct impact as a message on the on the lives of these men seeing that they can you know if there's a a big guy tending to a tiny little sprout of something that he planted he can see it grow and watch it and believe in that and that his hands did that and can create that what was yeah, just like the garden grows, people grow with it. it it's it's the perfect <laughs> metaphor for everything in life. You know, it's just and it's one that the men learn to use very, very well. We had one man in our um, program at California State Prison, Solano, who just was released after thirty five years in prison. Mm. Um, he went up in front of the parole board and started using garden metaphors to describe his transformation over time. And he said they just sat around in stunned silence. And he thinks he was actually got his parole because of the depth of work he had done in our program and also just this very unusual use of gardening terms in front of the parole board. So, wow. so beautiful. Kind of amazing, yeah. We're speaking with Beth Waitkiss, the founder and director of the Insight Garden Program out of Berkeley, California, insightgardenprogram.org. If you hear about this show and this project and can think of a prison in your area where you would like to bring some life and hope back into, that's a, a great starting point and also a way to get in touch with Beth, insightgardenprogram.org. Just to talk more, we want to hear way more stories about the okay. effect it has, but when you came up with that idea of why don't we do a garden here inside San Quentin, what was the initial response both from the warden or the, the governance, the governing body of a prison, as well as, as the inmates themselves? Like, how, how did this echo through the halls there? So the initial response was the warden at the time was Jeannie Woodford, and she was very, very excited about the idea. This was sort of at the beginning of 
the really in-depth rehab programs going on at San Quentin. She was very excited about it. And then, of course, you know, so that's prison administration. Then you have the line staff, the custody, the people who are in charge of the safety and security of the institution. And they had some very serious concerns about it, to be honest. You know, the concerns being around tools and equipment coming in and letting people who were incarcerated use things like pruners and shovels and trowels and that. And, you know, what it took was us collaborating closely with the prison administration and custody to really educate them about the impact that other programs had had. You know, we brought them research. We brought them articles. We listen to their concerns. We put together ways that we could address issues if they came up. And over the course of time, over the course of a year, we began to see a softening of of the resistance. And we also, Jeannie Warden Woodford, Jeannie Woodford was also very pro-program, and that helped. You know, it always helps to have strong leadership kind of bringing along everybody else. And so it did take a full year. Plus, we all also had to find a place to put the garden. And so it did take time. And it was done with a great respect of the institution's mm-hmm. mission, which is sure. the safety and security of people working of there. So yeah, it was a very collaborative effort. And everybody, you know, now things have shifted completely where we have prisons begging for us to come in. So. Yeah, of course, the first one is always the hardest. But <laughs> how did you like? How did how did you assess if inmates, who I'm sure most of them, many of them, I would just assume, have not gardened before extensively, how did you make that an appealing enough program to them so that they stood behind it as well? I think the in the people on the unit that were in at San Quentin were very much hungry and thirsty for programming. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't hard. As we have expanded into other prisons, we always look at, you know, do they have disciplinaries? What's the behavior been like since they've been in prison? Do they have any gang affiliation? uh, Other prisons have, you know, as we've moved forward in the world, other prisons have put more criteria around who can and can't be in our program. And we actually just opened, we just launched a new program at California State Prison in uh, L.A. County, which is a level four prison. So we're working with Mm. a much higher level of security, and those men were very carefully selected to be in our program by the staff. They had to go through official classification and stuff. But it really depends on the prison. Um, And, of course, we've never had any issues with the people who've been in our program, no matter what level they're in. Well, Beth, you talked a bit about the curriculum that you've put together. You know, after having built the garden, now your program has expanded and there are educational initiatives happening with groups of groups of inmates. I'd love to hear more about what participants are learning. Yes, that's a great question. Um, so for the first 11 years of the program, we were very much kind of, a, we were a volunteer program. We weren't, we didn't have an organization, you know, we were fiscally sponsored. We didn't have an official organization, and I was still a volunteer. We received some startup funding a couple of years ago from a foundation and were able to uh, really launch the next level, which was to redesign our curriculum so that we could replicate it in other places. Sure. Mm-hmm. So that was a two-year process that included class participants were involved with the redesign, We had a team of people working on the curriculum. And basically what we did was we took the, you know, learning strategies from neuroscience. So we actually have a garden program now 
based on learning strategies from neuroscience to really activate our class participants' brains to go from reaction to response. So the classes are now very um, engaging, not that they always, they weren't, but, you know, more structured. And people are very go through a process during class where they're brought through, you know, a transition from the previous class, a warm-up. They get there. We have an interactive discussion about the topic. We really try to do some activity that helps ground the learning. And then, of course, they have what they call action plans or homework for the following week. So it's it's much more structured than it was, but the goal is to reframe the way a person's brain thinks and how a person feels. And we have now a year-long program that has four semesters. The first semester is this semester around learning about our interconnection to nature. So it's sort of the environmental semester. People go from learning about eco-principles to um, soil systems to food systems to consumer systems to climate change. You know, they learn all these things to really, really get a sense of the system's approach to life. And then the second semester is permaculture, which is kind of systems thinking around gardening. Permaculture design, you know, installing permaculture gardens, that kind of thing. The third semester is what we call the inner gardening semester. So it's it's deep work that we do with the men around community building, leadership. Uh, you got to feel your feelings to heal them, you know, to heal. Uh, really deeper work to, to ground them in new skills for emotional intelligence. And then the fourth semester is really skills needed to have a better chance at a successful reentry, or if they're if they're going to remain in prison, you know, to be leaders within the prison. So it's a very very interconnected curriculum now, and it the inner gardening piece is actually woven through the whole thing. But we have a whole semester on that alone, so it's very comprehensive. And then we combine the gardening with that classroom work, and it's profoundly transformational. We're speaking with Beth Waitkiss, the founder and director of the Inside Garden Program out of Berkeley, California, insidegardenprogram.org, which started in 2002 at San Quentin at that prison and is now in three other prisons for a total of four prisons thus far, bringing gardens and life and hope and so much more, really a skill to deal with life and, and create leadership through the program in the prison or even beyond after inmates get released. Beth, stay with us. We want to come back to um, a few more stories of what you've seen, how that transformation has occurred and how it has impacted the men and certainly you. This is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. 
Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Prison Gardens, Growing Hope by Growing Life, our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. And with us is Beth Waitkiss, the founder and director of the Inside Garden program, which started in San Quentin, Marin County, Northern California, and is now in three other prisons. Um, Beth, we talked about right before the break about the curriculum it's as much about gardening as it is really gardening just the gateway just quote unquote the important gateway certainly but just the gateway for uh, life the garden of life program it sounds like there's leadership there's responsibility there's care there's emotions there's tenderness there's life there's death in the garden and all that being integrated and accepted and seen and understood and learned by the man Was that always the idea, or when you started, was it about bringing something alive and beautiful into a, a kind of karst place? That's a great question. I think when we started the program, it was about how do we build a garden here? You know, it was it was really about the logistics and the skills needed for the men to build that initial garden. As time has gone on, the program has obviously evolved a lot. And in formalizing the curriculum in, for, in preparation for replication, you know, we really had to think deeply about what it is, do we really want people to come out with, and what does transformation really mean? I mean, we all know that gardens are transformative, but then the question became, how do you design transformation into the curriculum mm -hmm. versus just expecting it will happen? And that was... The challenge for us, and that's why it took two years to really work through the redesign of the curriculum, um, and I think we have a very powerful program now, one is, that is recognized nationally for the work that we do and, and the impacts, uh, the socioeconomic impacts are, are very strong with, with our work. So, you know, it's great to want to grow a garden in a prison. It takes it to a whole other level to really focused on what does it take to create a curriculum that supports that transformation. Sure, yes. And I I mean, that is so needed and important, and I don't know how many programs are directly geared towards that or, or have that in focus, and how perfect to have a garden um, program of all as the as the threshold to get into that conversation. Who's teaching the curriculum? Do you have volunteers, mm -hmm. or are those, at this point, paid staff of the Inside Garden Program organization? Great question. So as we have expanded our curriculum, so have we expanded our organization to support the administration of the curriculum in more than one prison? And we do have, in California, the model is to have a paid program manager in each prison who is responsible for the logistics coordination, which are, is really quite a lot when you're dealing with tools and equipment. 
and is also a lead facilitator. We bring in volunteers from all over. We have volunteers from all over the Bay Area. We have volunteers, you know, at CSP Solana from UC Davis. Uh, we we really try to go into the communities and, and find, really work on the diversity of our volunteers and also have people who have gardening background, environmental background, science, that kind of thing. Um, so it's it's kind of in California, it's modeled with a person sort of in charge of each facility who's the lead facilitator and then with with a really nice, we probably have 30 volunteers now in California. In other places we have, and in, we're going to be going to the state of Indiana where we're contracting directly with the state. And the state does most of the work with, um, they'll be doing most of the work with the logistics. So really we will be drawing from volunteers there and we will train the replication model is to train other people to administer our program and then provide technical assistance in New York City we're we're part of a collaborative with Hawthorne Valley Farms and Bard Prison Initiative to bring people out of prison and they will our curriculum will be administered to people in reentry who are no longer in prison but outside, and they'll be working in community sure. gardens in New York City. So there's different models for different places depending on what the states can and can't do. But it's, it's uh, you know, the des- redesigning the curriculum partially was because in order to replicate, you have to have something really grounded. Beautiful. And it sounds like that the prisons are now starting to pay for that. They, they contract with you. Is that correct? In California... We do get some state funding, but, you know, we also rely on the support of foundations and individual donors, and we have an income-generating strategy as well. It just depends on the state. In, in Indiana, sure. it's a direct contract. In New York, in New York City, it's a, a, somebody else got a grant. You know, for us to keep expanding and be sustainable, we have to be able to charge yes. people, basically, <laughs> for our training and technical assistance. Of course. You know, you you talked about transformation earlier, and it sounds like there's no question this program has transformed has transformed so much over the last, I guess, almost 15 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing to me when you said that the inmates were really hungry for programs. That wasn't something that had ever occurred to me. That when you're in the same place day in and day out, you don't have the opportunity to leave. You have limited activities. And you do that for so many years, the desire for things to come in for programs that engage your mind and engage your body and engage your ambition must be so important to the life experience of the people who are there. And I'm wondering if you can share some about the transformational stories that you have observed for inmates, whether it's a change in behavior or a change in ambition as a result of working in the program. Well, I would like to share a story about one of our class participants at San Quentin. Um, We have in our first arc, which is the systems arc, the environmental arc, we also have a class on the cosmos, which is the largest system we could think of. And um, our men were very inspired just a couple of weeks ago by one of our volunteers who's who's studying to be an astronaut, (laughs) believe it or not. And they were so inspired by her that um, when we came in last week, we were talking about this, and they were doing their end-of-semester skits that were supposed to embody the core learnings of the past semester. And one of our class participants said, if I'm made of stardust, I should shine like the star I am. I mean, it just, 
kind of blew us all away. Um, they they're, they're get so hopeful and so, um, you know, they gain skills, but there's also so much hope. We've seen men, you know, have huge aha moments in the middle of class. One time we had a guy in our class who who we had them outside doing an exercise in the garden of when they're weeding the weeds, you know, imagine what you're weeding out of your cell, out of oneself. And we went back into the classroom and this gentleman said, you know, look, I realize if I don't pull my weeds out by the roots, they're going to keep coming back. And it's moments like that. The, the collective wisdom in our groups, our, our classes, are it's, it's just so profound. And the men learn so much from each other as well. Um, I mean, I have a whole book full of stories probably, but mm-hmm. I, it's just um, we see it every week. And what we're seeing now is younger and younger men joining our class, which, of course, is great because, I mean, we recently have like an 18-year-old in our class. And in, when we go to Indiana, we'll be working in our first juvenile facility. Um, mm-hmm. So I think to be able to bring the opportunity for people to really kind of shine who they are and to to develop a greater understanding of the world beyond them and the hopes and changes and the skills they need to be successful in the world is just really key. And, we, you know, we have so many stories of men who, um, people who are, are just so committed to uh, become, over time, really committed to living a better life and being a good contributing member of society when they leave prison it's 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 astounding so the work clearly is a success i want to mention helga yes aside from the stories we yes. also have quantifiable exactly success. that would be my question um do you measure this in in any other way than beautiful observation in the value system of these men which is so touching and beautiful And in order to be accepted into or, or wanted in many more prisons, as we hope, how do you quantify success? Well, we've tried to quantify success through several several means. It's, it's of course, it's the stories and the testimonials that are the most sure. touching. But, you know, understanding that people like to see what the actual impacts are. We did do a recidivism study, a study to see how many men came back after an, uh, we kept track of about 118 people who had paroled from our program and from the prison, and um, we looked at uh, how many of them had come back to prison with, within three years, and less than 10% had. So the state the state of California, six out of 10 people returned to prison after release <gasps> within three years. In our case, it's one out of 10, less wow. than one out of 10. It also costs about $60,000 to incarcerate one person. A year in the California prison system a year, it costs us less than $60,000 to go into a prison, start a new program, and build our first garden. And finally, you know, if we serve, say, 125 people in our program a year at about the cost of um, $60,000, I think it's about $60,000 to go into a new prison, it comes out to about, it costs us about $500 for one person to program through our to go through our program a year the return on investment on that $500 if that person leaves prison and stays out is 12,000 mm-hmm. percent that's that's 120 times the $500 sure, I mean, yes. it's 
I don't know where else you can get that kind of ROI, but $500 goes a really long way on supporting one person through our program. So aside from that, we've done two research studies that were approved by the state research department. Um, One looked at the was my graduate thesis, which looked at the impact of a garden on the physical climate and social, physical environment and social climate of a prison yard. You mean like less aggression, less, like Yeah, like what harmony. was, it was the before, before we planted the garden at San Quentin uh-huh. and after. And so it looked at, you know, what was the impact on the physical environment and social climate. And what we found was that the garden was the only place on the prison yard where all races would mix without any fear of retribution. Mm which in, in, on a prison yard, people self-segregate. Sure. So that was a huge finding. And then the second thesis that was done, graduate work was done, was looking at, as the level of eco-literacy rises, is there a shift in values? And in that research study, we had two control groups, as well as our men. And our, the people in our program had huge shift in as their level of eco-literacy went up, their values changed dramatically. And then we didn't do the next step, which was to look at, well, if the values change and the behavior changes, but one would assume that, you know, as values change and shift, so does behavior. So that was a very interesting study that was multifaceted and showed that, you know, the higher the level that somebody understands our ecological systems, the more they change. Of course. Yes. Yeah. And it's hard to do studies in California. We can't get a lot of data because it's confidential. So we have to be creative in how we do that. Well, the numbers alone on the money spent, right? And it's known that um, a, a year in prison costs about $60,000. And mm-hmm. you're saying if one person doesn't come back, your program, which is 60000 to bring into a prison, at least to, to establish it and then much less to run it. But th- that would already pay for itself. Um, right. Very much so. And, you know, we've looked at, you know, we've tried to do the math and say, okay, if we've served this many people at San Quentin over the past 13 years and you add up the math, it looks like we've saved California taxpayers almost $54 million. Yeah. Good work. Thank you, Beth, for <laughs> making the Good time. <laughs> if, wow. it's, if, if, if somebody is not completely inspired and touched by your work, then at least for the tax break that you're giving us or the tax savings. Well, yeah. Um, but, um, of course, the, there's so much more politically charged conversation around the prison system itself and uh, where that money goes to and many prisons mm-hmm. now being privately held, actually, on the stock market. Right. Um, if you you can buy you know shares and own part of a prison, and the more people you have there, the the more right. inmates, the more money you make. Um, we don't have that system in California. Yes, though. we don't. Um, I just want to mention too yes. that you know we know how connected we all are to the environment, but for some reason people tend to forget that we're all connected to each other, and. I really believe that we have to stop throwing people away and start taking care of each other. I mean, that's how we create a more humane society. But that also just and fair inclusion is a definition of equity. You know, making sure everybody has a chance. And if we get it right for people in prison, you know, for the most vulnerable, I think we're all better off. We're all Uh, much better off. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much, Beth, for all your work and dedication. I'm so glad this all came about in 2002. That's Beth Waitkiss, the founder and director of the Inside Garden Program. 
insidegardenprogram.org, the website for more information and contact to bring hopefully this program to a prison near you if that is um, at your heart to do. Prison Gardens, growing hope by growing life. Thank you so much for joining us, Beth, and good luck for the next 500 prisons that you hopefully <laughs> will be so in Thank you so much. Soon. We hope we get there. <laughs> Thank Take you so care. much. Have you seen? Thank Bye. you, Beth. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. The stories and the numbers make this program something that every prison should listen to. Somebody needs to hear this at every prison. What a sweeping difference it would make. Yeah, and you would save money. I mean, it's like it's it's amazing on every level. It's not just good on every level. It's amazing on every level. Totally transformative, important work while they're in while people are in prisons when they come out uh, success rate it's a big issue that within three years six out of ten return and that's one out of ten that's the power of garden and gardens and growing life again insidegardenprogram.org and we're staying with the topic of growing life and growing gardens and plants in this case fruits and vegetables. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And here now is What's in Season. And with us, straight from the produce dock in San Francisco, is Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce a distributor entirely focused on organic fruits and vegetables. Our partner in crime, Earl, are you there? Yes, I am, and wow, what a beautiful sunrise this morning we had. <laughs> I oh. thought I would, we would find you in the fields, but... <laughs> yeah, not, not, not right now. Being on the dock is... is uh, Maybe second best to that. So we're heading into May, and of course, every farmer is back in the field at this point, at least here in California, but mm -hmm. really almost throughout the country. Isn't this the most exciting time, beginning of May? It really is. We're really on so many thresholds, and, and actually, you know, like the stone fruit season is right, right there. Some early stuff is starting to come wow. in. We've been able to enjoy some Mexican peaches for the last couple of weeks, but California is just right there. And it's an interesting time also with the, in the veg world, which I want to talk about, because you're ending up in the hot climates. Think uh, Mexico and the desert. What, what's being produced there right now is, is summertime vegetables, sure. even though it's spring. June, July, right? The stuff you would usually get. Precisely. So you think eggplant, zucchini, bell peppers, that's all big-time production. Oh, nice. That's going to end in, within a month, and at that point, we're going to have a little break in the bell peppers And, and the eggplant, because that, that needs a lot of heat. But we'll jump right into all the other summertime production out of Bakersfield and up, up all the way to Salinas and Watsonville. So what, what does the, let me ask, what does this, yeah. the desert produce in July or August, or is that just They're too done. hot? They're hot. It's too yeah, hot, you're right? Pulling, you're pulling out of there June 1 right. or even earlier if there's some really big heat spike. Sure, which sure. Is, which is, Nothing which definitely happens. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so right, so that is it. It'll it'll shut down, and uh, all the and the growers are all very coordinated. Many of them have have sites up here in the Bay Area, but also have growing have sure. farms down in the in the desert to be able to get a year-round production. Right, right. Uh, and some of that is for not only the production, but to also stay in relationship with the people to whom you're selling, because you don't want to go in and out. If you can maintain that, that's just 
further solidifies your relationship with that grower, with your client. You're saying they want to bring produce to the restaurant or whatever every week and not say, I'm going to take a half-year break, right? Yes, that's right. And, and to maintain that that label, if you will. Mm-hmm. If, sure. if you're always talking about a certain label, you want to maintain that as long as you can. Of course. But there's so, some beauty, of course, of, of that total seasonality. And uh, that's I love that. Uh, knowing that, yeah, you're only going to be here for six months, but I know what I, what to expect, and you do such a great job. So, well, most most farmers have like you know their core products, and then add seasonal two three months items throughout the year, yeah. right? Whenever they come in, what's yeah. the item of the week for you? Well, it's it's the the precious spring production of of sugar snap peas, some English peas, some snow peas. Oh, nice. Now it's it's been going on for <laughs> for a couple of weeks, but. Um, there's more and more uh, sections that are coming in as we get that warm spring temperature. This is the only time you can do it because it, it, it's, it's a mild temperature is what you want. It gets over 70, 75, and these things blow up, meaning that they mature, you know, they, that heat, it's kind of like put them in, a, in an oven. Mm-hmm. They cook, they, they explode with heat, they, they mature overnight. And if you wait one day, it's kind of like a zucchini. I think we've all gone out to our garden, and if, we thought, oh, we got a couple of days, and you go away for the weekend, you come back, and you have a two-foot zucchini. It, it's kind of like that. When, when that heat spikes, the fragile spring vegetables, which we're talking about peas right now, just will overmature, and they'll be starchy, and the, the pea, the internal pea will be overgrown, and you'll miss that perfect tenderness that you want, where you pick them right off the plant, and you eat them raw. You don't need to cook anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we've all, I know for me, one of the favorite uh, things as a kid was, yeah, that English pea that you, you zip down, the skin uh, peels away, and you have those six to eight little green peas inside, right? Sure. And They're like the best popcorn substitute. You can get a whole bowl of <laughs> yeah. those together and just eat them by the handful while you watch a movie. Yeah. Cut. They're so good. And, and you want those at that perfect stage of, of ripeness. You don't want them, you know, underripe is not too bad because they're just a little smaller, but overripe, you know, they're starchy. They're, they're not as sweet. They're, you know, some people, you know, they, they, they spit them out. So, again, a, a week well, less than that, more like two to three days, difference makes all the difference in that flavor. So if you're growing them, you're out there every day with very mature, experienced pickers, and they're going through picking the right ones. And it, it really is an art to have to be able to do that and to be able to maintain that throughout the day, every day, knowing exactly the right ones to pick. So we always say that, you know, if you can, taste your produce before you buy it because it's you don't want to be disappointed at home. Peas is one of those items where it's really easy, right? There's no uh, yeah. produce department or manager that wouldn't let you open yeah. one English pea and, and, and taste the inside. And if, if well, one is... Um, yeah. really good, it's usually that entire batch that you can be pretty certain of. Again, if I may, you want to look for nice, high color, deep, rich color. Uh, you want to look for, you do not want to buy, you know, the browning or the, there's uh, indentations or there's a, there's a dullness to it that all represents age. Now, that's not to say that they're all bad if, if a couple are like that, but you, you know, what I do, I, I generally try to pick out a two- I, 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 I grab a couple English peas and walk around the department and, and eat them as I'm walking around. And, and you know if that, you know, I try to pick one out. If this one's good, I know they're all going to be good because it's, it's a little bit 
past what I think, uh-huh. and then I know. Now, also, on a P, it should be squeaky. You should be able to put your hand into the display. I don't know if this is completely PC, but put your hand in, and they should squeak. They should be so perky. perfectly fresh uh-huh. and perky that they actually will make a squeak, just a little squeaking noise. That way you know they are very fresh. Yeah, and you, you get that sense whether or not you do it, but if you if you bent them, they, they would break, right? That's yes. kind of, for most peas. If yep. they have a lot of give, they, the yep. moisture is already gone. They've been out of the field for three, four days. Yeah, um, and they will, yeah they've been in a, in a cooler. In somebody's cooler, whether it's the retailers or the wholesalers or, That's right. or somebody. Yeah. Well, so many many people don't even know the difference between those three. Um, we we started to put photos up on earlsorganic.com for just for people to have a, a kind of a reverence and reference yes. of what they're buying and what they should be looking for just to get a visual cue. Um, can we do that again for yes. this week? Absolutely. Uh, I'll make sure they're up on our website and we'll make reference to uh, to the show and We'll give a good visual. And, Perfect. I uh, love any feedback uh, that we can get out of that. Sure, and we'll add a recipe or so to it. That's earlsorganic.com or always facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation for what's hot this week on the produce dock and how to pick it, how to choose it, and what to do with it. Eat them raw. Eat them raw. Eat them now. Peace. Yes, yep. honestly, I had um, sugar snaps two weeks ago. I It was the first sugar snaps I, I saw, and I thought they wouldn't be you know, phenomenal, but I w- needed to have them because it's the first item that, or the first time I saw them this year. And yep. they were amazing. They were as good as summer ones. I mean, completely, yep. yeah, snappy, sweet, juicy, like just delicious. Well, you know, we've had some great weather out here. We've had some uh, nice temps. Yeah, uh, enough water. Know, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. We've we've at least got a uh, you know a good amount of water this year. So cool. you know the conditions are pretty good. We're we're seeing some great produce. Great. Eat them raw. <laughs> That's it. Peace. It's where it's at. Thank you so much, Earl. And we'll have you all back right. with a new item next week. I hope you all had a good Earth Day. Looking forward to it. You too. Yeah, you. <laughs> See you soon. Right. Bye. Bye. Take care. Yep. Bye. Yep. These last couple of weeks have really inspired me. Last week, we had an interview with Kevin Connolly, the associate director of Earth Island Institute, talking about people who have initiatives to change our relationship to to our planet, make it healthier, be better stewards of the land. And then we have Beth coming on today to talk about prison gardens and how it's transforming the lives of inmates in a way that's really exporting itself into a healthier society. I marvel at the brilliance of this world (laughs) you marvel and i'll wrap up (laughs) but i'll marvel with you in just a minute this is an organic conversation we are marveling i'm helga helberg and i'm sita ronnie palomar and we'll be back with another marvel next week marvelous (laughs) thank you so much see you soon bye bye An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash an organic conversation. Thank you for your contribution. 
An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.